Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On September 15th, 2018, 23-year-old National Guardsman Tyler Smith was found dead, face down in a drainage ditch, after a night of bar hopping with friends in Galesburg, Illinois. The local police believe Tyler suffered an accidental drowning, and they closed the case almost immediately. But Tyler's parents aren't convinced that their son's death was the result of an accident. They believe their son was attacked and killed, and they have spent the last five years doing the investigation they say the police failed to do. I'm Nisa. Welcome to another episode of the Lost Crimes Library podcast. This is the story of the mysterious death of Tyler Smith. On September 14, 2018, 23-year-old Tyler Smith said goodbye to his mother, Sandra. He was leaving his home in Rochelle, Illinois to travel to Macomb, Illinois, which is about two hours away from his hometown. Tyler was part of the National Guard for almost five years, and he was heading to Macomb to participate in the final Illinois National Guard drill on Saturday, September 15, at 7.30 a.m. Macomb, Illinois is about 171 miles away from Rochelle, Illinois, which is his hometown. But he wasn't planning on staying in Macomb. Instead, he planned on staying the night at the home of one of his drill mates, and then he would drive into Macomb early the next morning. His drillmate Evan lived in Galesburg, Illinois, and that town was closer to Macomb. So it just made more sense for Tyler to make that shorter commute from Galesburg instead of Rochelle. Plus... Tyler planned to spend that Friday night celebrating with friends. Tyler had just recently turned 23 years old, and he had just secured a position as a police officer in San Jose, California, which was Tyler's dream job. Tyler was a helpful and caring person, and so it kind of just made sense that he would pursue a career where he could serve the community. He always wanted to join the military and become a police officer. So he did what was necessary to achieve his goal. After high school, he went to college and earned a bachelor's degree in criminal justice and a minor in homeland security. He also joined the National Guard. And in May 2018, he graduated from Western Illinois University. Tyler had big dreams and he was an ambitious person. After graduation, he took steps to achieving his goal of becoming a police officer. He researched all the different police academies in all the different areas he would want to live. 
Tyler was an adventurous guy, and he fell in love with California. He was an outdoorsy guy. He loved hiking, scuba diving, and snowboarding. He had even been skydiving. And his next adventure was going to be surfing, so California seemed like the perfect place to move to. And so that was it. He decided to apply to the San Jose Police Academy in California. There were 5,000 applicants, and they were only taking 50. And Tyler was accepted and got the opportunity of his dreams. He was excited and eager about starting his career. He eventually planned to become a canine officer and then a DEA agent. And this new opportunity just moved him one step closer to achieving those goals. He was determined to be the top police officer, and he wanted to make a positive impact on the world. He had worked really hard to get to this point, and everything in his life felt right and complete. Tyler was really close with his family. His mother and he were like best friends. He was his mother's only child, and like most mothers, she was initially concerned about him pursuing such a dangerous and risky career. But Tyler reassured her that he would be fine, and ultimately, like any good mother, she just wanted him to be happy. And so doing this final drill in Macomb was one step to him getting closer to his happiness. Tyler left for Galesburg, which is about 200 miles west of Chicago. He left around 4.30 p.m. And before he left, his mother, Sandra, reminded him to call her as soon as he made it in. When he arrived, he did as he was told. He called his mom and dad to let them know that he made it there safely. On the call, he told them he was going out with friends to grab something to eat. That would be the last time that Tyler's family heard from him. On Saturday, September 15th, 2018, Sandra, Tyler's mother, received a message from Evan, the person Tyler was staying with in Galesburg, Illinois. The message only said something to the effect of, can you call me at this number right away? So Sandra called Evan immediately, and he asked Sandra if she had heard from Tyler. She said, no, isn't he at drill? She also told Evan that she had texted Tyler a couple of times, but it showed that he had not read the text. It was delivered, but it was not opened. Then Evan told Sandra that he had no idea where Tyler disappeared to. When Tyler didn't respond to her messages, Sandra assumed that her son was just at drill and he was busy, and that he would get back to her whenever he had a chance to. The fact that Evan was calling her and asking her if she heard from Tyler worried her because she knew Tyler would not miss this drill. According to Sandra, he was very disciplined when it came to keeping up with his responsibilities, especially in the National Guard. After the call with Evan, Sandra learned that Tyler's sergeants had also tried to get in touch with Tyler when he didn't show up. But still, Tyler was unresponsive to calls and messages, and this only heightened Sandra's worries and fears. At this point, Tyler's mother was really in a panic. She thought something must have gone wrong because none of this behavior sounded like her son. He just wouldn't have missed this final drill before his transfer. And in her mind, there had to be some other reason why Tyler was nowhere to be found. But Tyler's parents, Sandra and Keith, weren't about to just sit around and hope to hear from Tyler. So they headed to Galesburg to look for their son and speak with authorities. Along the way, they frantically called Tyler's friends, trying to see if anyone had heard from him. But the friends that Tyler was with the night before claimed they had no idea where he went. Sandra and Keith also ended up speaking with Evan again, and he explains that when he went out drinking with Tyler the night before, he got so drunk that he couldn't remember how and where he got separated from Tyler. He said that when he woke up 
in his home the next morning. It was clear that Tyler had not made it back to the house because his car was still in the driveway and his bags were left untouched. If he made it home, then Tyler's stuff and his car would be gone because he would have left for Macomb for his final drill. So Evan figured that Tyler had gone missing and he called the Galesburg Police Department around 11 a.m. that morning. Saturday evening around 7 p.m., Sandra and Keith arrived in Galesburg and headed straight to the police station. Tyler's parents walked in and went straight to the desk and asked to speak with an officer. They were told to sit and wait while they got a police officer to come back to the station. According to his parents, they were told to wait because everyone was very busy. But Sandra couldn't just sit and wait. She was worried sick about her child, so she just paced while she waited. And as they waited, a pizza delivery guy walked into the station. The guy asked Sandra how her night was, and she obviously said not good. He said he was sorry to hear it, and he hoped that it was not related to the body that was just found in Cedar Fort Creek. At that point, Sandra just lost it. She just had this heart-wrenching feeling that that body in the creek was her son. And she just dropped to the floor. Soon after, the police came to speak with Sandra and Keith and took them to a private room. They had to wait there for several hours as officers came in and out asking questions, like did Tyler have any tattoos or birthmarks or scars. It turned out that the reason there were no police at the station when Tyler's parents arrived was because they were all out assessing the scene at the Cedar Fort Creek. Tyler was found around the time that his parents had arrived in Galesburg just a few blocks away from the Galesburg police station. Tyler's body was found face down at the bottom of Cedar Creek. Cedar Creek is a drainage canal that runs the length of the town and is directly behind the Hanson Lumber Company. After Tyler's body was found, Tyler's parents were told that their son had drowned in the shallow water in the drainage ditch as a result of being intoxicated. After hearing this news, his parents are devastated and shocked, and more than anything, they had questions that they wanted answered. How did Tyler end up dead? Could they see their son? And what happens next? Ultimately, Tyler's parents were denied the opportunity to see their son and identify him. Sandra has said she was told the person who ID'd Tyler was a Galesburg police officer and had prior experience with him from drill training. But then Tyler's parents found out that police officer was never at the scene. Police told his parents that Tyler's body was considered evidence and that the coroner would have to take him to a forensic pathologist. His parents were also told that his manner of death was ruled an accident, pending an autopsy. Tyler's parents were given his wallet. They were asked if they were okay to drive and they were basically sent on their way. But his family didn't know what to do next. According to Tyler's mother, his family was not given any details about what was happening. All the police gave them was two business cards and they were told to call the next day. One card was for the detective handling Tyler's case and the other was for the coroner. So Tyler's family waited for the autopsy results to come in. When the results came in, it confirmed that Tyler was intoxicated when he died and that his injuries were consistent with a fall. His blood alcohol level was at a 0.246, which is three times the legal limit. The manner of death was determined to be accidental drowning and that no foul play was suspected, according to the Knox County Coroner and the Galesburg Police Department. Ultimately, the cause of death was ruled as undetermined. And this supported the detective's conclusion that Tyler had spent the night drinking with his friends and that somewhere along the way he got lost, stumbled upon the creek, passed out, and then drowned. But this theory just 
didn't make sense to Tyler's parents. They knew Tyler was a responsible young man, and the chances of him getting so intoxicated the night before a drill seemed unlikely. For the time being, Tyler's family accepted the detective's theory. Their priority at the time was to plan Tyler's funeral. Unfortunately, his parents didn't get to see their son until he was in the casket, and they were disturbed and confused by what they saw. For one, they noticed Tyler's cheek looked as if it was four times the size it should have been, and he had scratches all over his face. They also claimed that there were several scratches all over his hands. To Sandra, these looked like injuries sustained from a physical altercation, not from a accidental drowning. Seeing the condition of Tyler's body, Sandra began to question the accident theory. Sandra was determined to get some answers about her son's death, so she requested the photos from Tyler's autopsy. When she looked at the photos, she noticed even more disturbing marks on his body. She noticed injuries on both sides of his head. Scratches were also on his back, bruises on his neck, his knees were scraped, and his elbows were scraped. Tyler's parents have said, that after authorities moved Tyler's body, his blood pulled to his back, meaning no fixed lividity, which means the blood was still flowing. Tyler also had drag marks on his shoe and behind his hand, and he supposedly had several injuries that weren't mentioned in his autopsy. According to his parents, it looked like scratches were on both sides of Tyler's face and that his nose was possibly broken. Sandra also said Tyler's wrist looked broken too. So she asked the authorities about this, and they said that the marks were from decomposition. But Sandra pushed back and was like, no, that's not just from decomposition. Those are injuries. And she did more digging into the investigation. She eventually found out that no one went to Tyler's autopsy. She claims that detectives didn't go and the coroner didn't attend either. She also alleges that the pathologist was told that Tyler was found in a creek and so they assumed Tyler drowned because of that information they were given. Sandra also learned that the autopsy lasted only 30 minutes. When I researched how long an autopsy report should take, it said at least three hours, but that's not including any extra tests that can't be conducted within a few hours. And sometimes it can take months for certain tests. How could they thoroughly conduct an autopsy within 30 minutes and cross every T and dot every I within 24 hours? I have a hard time believing a good medical examiner can examine a body within 30 minutes. I mean, you have to check every part of the body, examine organs, everything. How can even the most experienced and best coroner do that well in only 30 minutes? What's even more shocking is that they did not x-ray Tyler's body or take samples from underneath his nails. They also did not test the water to see if where he was found was the same place where he supposedly drowned. His clothes were also thrown away because the detective never came around to collect them for evidence. It seems like the police and medical examiner were quick to label Tyler's death as an accidental drowning, as they didn't even try to collect other evidence to disprove or prove other theories. Sandra also learned the detectives on Tyler's case was running for a county board position at the same time of handling this investigation. So she questioned if he put more attention and efforts into his campaign than he did with Tyler's investigation. Those disturbing discoveries left Sandra with so many unanswered questions. So she took things into her own hands. She stopped by the police station and asked for a warrant for her son's phone records and phone location records. But the Galesburg Police Department refused to hand them over to her. 
And this was a major problem because the records were only good for a year. And so she needed to get that information now, but the police were not interested in helping out. So at this point, Sandra filed a Freedom of Information Act request for everything pertaining to her son's case. For anyone who might not be familiar, the Freedom of Information Act or FOIA provides the public the right to request access to records from any federal agency. Federal agencies are required to disclose any information requested under the FOIA unless it falls under one of nine exemptions, which protect interests such as personal privacy, national security, and law enforcement. So just because you file a FOIA request, it doesn't mean that your request will always be accepted. With the help of FOIA, Sandra was able to access tons of information about Tyler's case. She collected police files, phone records, and bank information. And she used it all to retrace Tyler's movements on the night before he was found dead. And this is what she learned. On September 14th, around 6 p.m., Tyler arrived in Galesburg. Soon after getting there, Tyler hit the town with Evan and Evan's cousin, Robbie. They went to Buffalo Wild Wings and ate dinner around 7 p.m. And this is validated by the contents found in Tyler's stomach during the autopsy. After dinner, Tyler and his friends met up at a bar and left around 10.30 p.m. And then at 10.42 p.m., they stopped at a Wells Fargo ATM where Tyler withdrew $100 from his bank account. His mother thought it was odd that he had withdrew cash after he had been using his debit card at previous bars and restaurants all night. So she was wondering why did he all of a sudden need to use cash? Evan and Robbie recalled that at around 11 p.m., the group was asked to leave the bar because they were too drunk. Robbie has claimed that at this point, he parted ways with Evan and Tyler, and he specifically remembered handing Evan's car keys to Tyler because he didn't want his cousin driving home drunk. Those keys were later found on Tyler's body. According to Robbie, they all walked back to their vehicles. Even though Robbie recalls watching Tyler and Evan go back to the car, Evan has claimed that he does not remember any of this. So how they got separated is still a mystery. Then around 11.05 p.m., Tyler attempted to call one of his friends that he had been out with that night, but there was no answer. Sandra said she believed this is when Evan and Tyler became separated. Based on phone records around 11.30 p.m., it's believed Tyler realized he was lost. And this is based on the fact that he texted a friend in Macomb asking for their address. So his mother was thinking maybe he thought he was in Macomb instead of Galesburg. For the next 40 minutes, there were several calls and texts exchanged between Tyler and various friends while he was walking around downtown Galesburg. The friend from Macomb texted his address at 11.38 p.m., and Tyler replied at 11.40 that he was on his way. At 11.50 p.m., Tyler sent a few random Snapchat messages that appeared to be mistakes. According to Tyler's health app, Tyler stopped moving at 11.52 p.m. And according to the app, he never moved again. At 11.54 p.m., some friends replied to those random Snapchat messages and attempted to call him, but he didn't respond. Based on the data that Sandra was able to collect, it was clear that Tyler was walking in the wrong direction than he should have been that night. He was most likely lost because he had never been to Galesburg before, plus he was intoxicated. At some point that night, Evan was able to make it back to his home. When Evan's mother asked why Tyler wasn't with him, Evan said that Tyler was with Robbie. Then he passed out on the couch. At 5.30 a.m. on September 15th, Evan woke up and went with his mom to his car to look for Tyler. He thought that maybe Tyler could be sleeping in his car because, if you remember, Tyler had his keys. At 5.38 a.m., 
Evan called Tyler, but there was no response. And then he called Tyler again at 5.45 a.m., but again, there was no response. Tyler's phone continued to receive calls into the early morning hours. At 6.21 a.m., Evan called Tyler to see if he was coming to drill. This time, the phone did not ring. It went straight to voicemail. At 6.21 a.m., Evan sent a text message to Tyler. However, Tyler did not read or open that text message. After failing to make contact with Tyler, Evan reported Tyler missing to the Galesburg police. At 11.31 a.m., police left a message on Tyler's phone. Again, there was no response from Tyler. At 6.57 p.m. on the evening of September 15th, a 911 call was placed saying someone found a body in a creek. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Now, something that was interesting was that Tyler had withdrawn $100 from the ATM on the night before he died. However, when Tyler was found dead, he only had about $72 in his pocket. So the question now was, where did that $28 go? Did he spend it? And if so, where? Cash is hard to trace, and Sandra only had access to his bank accounts. What she really needed was access to that ATM footage. So Sandra asked police to get a warrant for the ATM video footage to see who Tyler was with when he withdrew the money. Police informed Sandra that Tyler was not on 
any of the ATM video footage. Sandra was thinking there had to be some mistake on their end because she had all the correct information from Tyler's bank statements. So the detective was like, come back to the station and I'll show you the video footage myself so you can see what I'm talking about. So you can see that Tyler is not in the ATM video footage. But when Sandra sat down at the station to watch the video footage, she saw Tyler right there on the screen, along with the friends that he was with that night, Evan and Robbie. So what was the police department's excuse for this. Police told Sandra that they had watched the video footage from start to finish, but that their computers had a malfunction and were not compatible, and that's why they couldn't find Tyler in the footage. So I guess they fixed the problem just in time for when Sandra showed up to watch the footage. The video confirmed that Tyler was still with his friends at 10.42 p.m. when he withdrew the money. Also, there was no sign of an altercation, no sign that maybe he had been robbed after withdrawing money. And even if he did, why rob just $30 instead of the full $100? In the months following Tyler's death, Sandra tried her best to piece together as much information about her son's death as she could. But soon she realized she needed help from someone with experience. So she hired homicide detective Mitch Drake. He was recently retired from a police department just south of Chicago. And he worked there as a police officer for 35 years, and for eight of those years, he investigated homicides and child predator cases. Detective Drake had a lot to work with, thanks to Sandra's hard work. He had access to complete autopsy photos, scene photos, phone records, bank statements, and more. He spent the first month verifying that everything Sandra and Keith claimed was true. And according to Detective Drake, Tyler's parents have never told him anything that wasn't untrue. The detective came to the professional conclusion that there hadn't really been a thorough investigation into Tyler's death. So Detective Drake took the case. He began with interviewing the last person who saw Tyler, which would be his friend Evan. Again, Evan claimed that he couldn't remember much from that night. To Detective Drake, Evan did not seem deceptive, and he does not personally consider Evan as a suspect. And I'm not sure if this is just like a spidey sense he had about Evan, or if he has concrete evidence that takes Evan off the suspect list. Next, the detective conducted his own review of the autopsy and agreed with Sandra's conclusions that the examination was rushed. According to him, the autopsy was way shorter than any autopsy he has witnessed. If you remember, the autopsy only lasted about 30 minutes. A quick Google search showed that a typical autopsy examination should usually take around three hours, although some may take longer. Unfortunately, it gets worse. Supposedly, the Galesburg Police Department did not follow any established protocols. Apparently, the department should have filled out a death scene checklist, which is protocol. But a Galesburg police sergeant confirmed to Detective Drake that a death scene checklist was not completed. These are the protocols they allegedly failed to complete. The police had not asked for a crime scene tech to come out to the scene and process it. And from the scene photos, it is clear they put down markers, but they didn't take any measurements. On the scene, there were non-police personnel volunteer firemen at the scene. They came in to help roll the body over to get an ID from Tyler's body, but they did this before taking photos of the position the body was originally found in, and they didn't even log the individuals who were coming in and out of the scene either. They also did not canvass the area for any potential witnesses, and they made no attempt to contact businesses to obtain surveillance video, which would have been crucial in figuring out what happened to Tyler. Even if Tyler 
really did die from an accident, getting footage of it or a witness to it would bolster the theory. So no matter what, this would have been helpful to do. There were also no notes taken of the possible crime scene and no samples taken of the water or soil at the possible crime scene. According to Detective Drake, this is routine stuff police do in death investigations, but they weren't done by the Galesburg Police Department. During the independent investigation, Detective Drake traveled to Galesburg for himself. He wanted to see the Cedar Creek drainage ditch where Tyler was found, and he wanted to understand how the Galesburg PD came to the conclusion that Tyler's death was an accident. As you know, the police's theory was that Tyler was drunk and he found access to the drainage ditch, maybe stumbled or passed out, and drowned in two inches of water. Well, Tyler would have had to access the drainage ditch about 250 yards from where he was found by sitting his butt down on the ground and then sliding down a concrete incline to get down into the drainage ditch area and then walk back the opposite way from the downtown area, leaned up against the wall, and then fell forward into the water. To the detective, this just didn't make sense. It was a lot of maneuvering in basically a nonsensical way to get to the drainage ditch if Tyler wanted to access it. There were a few key details that were inconsistent with the police's theory, according to Detective Drake. First, Tyler's hands were laying straight by his sides, which would indicate that he made no effort to stop himself from falling forward. Sticking your hands out in front of you before falling seems like a natural instinct, so that is a little odd. But maybe his body was moved at some point when the police came. I mean, the volunteer firefighters could have moved the positioning of his arms when they helped roll him over. And because they didn't take pictures of the body before it was moved, we don't really have any way of knowing if that's the case or not. Second, Tyler's shoes were white and relatively free from dirt, and it's hard to believe that, with how dirty the drainage ditch was, that Tyler's shoes could still be so clean. That left the detective wondering if Tyler fell into the creek because he was pushed from behind the concrete wall, and not from walking into the ditch. The concrete drainage canal has a sheer wall that is about 16 feet high. A shear wall is a general term for a wall that is designed and constructed to resist racking from forces such as wind, and it is constructed using masonry, concrete, cold-formed steel, or wood framing. So this shear wall also has a rail above it to prevent people from falling off of it, and that rail goes about three more feet. From the scene photos, Tyler's feet were positioned about one inch to three inches from that wall. If someone jumped from that wall or just fell forward from that height, wouldn't his feet be further than three inches away from that wall? And this new finding led Detective Drake to question whether Tyler was either unconscious or already dead when he was flipped over the railing. His theory is that Tyler was picked up and flipped over the railing in a somersault motion, which would put his feet where they were found. And I have to admit, it's hard to say if I agree with this theory, as I haven't seen the scene, and I couldn't find any pictures of the place where Tyler's body was found. Detective Drake also questioned the theory that Tyler died from drowning, as there were only two to three inches of water in the ditch at its deepest point, and Tyler's head wasn't really submerged into the water either. There was also no water at all from his feet all the way up to his neck. His head was laid sideways, and the water didn't even reach the level of his nostrils. In fact, his clothes were dry all the way from his shoulders down, and his cell phone was in his front pants pocket. That phone was still functioning, so there was no water damage from it being submerged. 
Not to mention, Tyler's body wasn't found for at least 19 hours after he went into the drainage ditch, but there was no rain that day that could have changed the water levels in the creek. And this all begs the question, was it really possible for Tyler to have drowned in two to three inches of water when his nostrils weren't even submerged into the water? Now, I'm not sure how much I buy into what I'm about to tell you next, but I wanted to give y'all as much information and as many credible theories so you could form your own opinions. So Sandra and Detective Drake had full access to Tyler's cell phone data, and they were able to access Tyler's health app, which logged Tyler's steps on the day of his death. According to Detective Drake, it's possible to calculate someone's step distance and the frequency of their steps. So the detective did the math, and according to him, the last 476 feet Tyler walked, his strides were longer and quicker, and they were stutter steps compared to the 3,000 feet he walked before that. So based on this information, the detective came to the conclusion that Tyler was confronted by someone, and he had either had a physical struggle with someone or ran away from someone in those last 476 feet until he got to the railing. And we already know what the detective thinks could have happened after that. As Detective Drake and Sandra continued to gather more information, it became clear that the police's account of what happened to Tyler was inconsistent with the evidence, which would mean there is a strong possibility that his death was not an accident, or at the very least, his case would need to be reinvestigated properly. Before Detective Drake helped with the case, Sandra searched the area where Tyler's body was found. She was hoping to see if she could find any security cameras near the area and could access the footage to see if Tyler was on it. And it turned out that two blocks away, a Casey's Market on West Street in Galesburg had a security camera that was pointed towards the road where Tyler would have walked. She went in and asked for the footage and she was told they keep the security footage for six months so it was still available for her to access. She watched six hours of video closely and she ended up seeing Tyler on the footage. Tyler could be seen walking past Casey's Market. According to Sandra, Tyler was walking alone, and he was walking normally. He wasn't stumbling and he didn't seem disoriented, which would conflict with the police's theory. It was also reported that a police car was seen in the footage going in the same direction as Tyler when he was walking. However, the police department said the officer was just doing a business check. After finding this new footage, Tyler's family confronted the Galesburg police. They were wondering if the police department even bothered to check the video footage from those businesses in that area where Tyler's body was found. The lead detective claimed they had checked for security camera footage and had talked to businesses and other people about accessing security camera footage. But the family went back to Casey's market to check if this was true. And it turned out that Galesburg police allegedly did not check for security camera footage. The family also learned of another nearby business that had a security camera and they asked Galesburg police if they checked that one too. But again, the lead detective was like, oh yeah, sure, we checked it out, but it wasn't working. However, again, when the family went back to the business to see if this was true, the owner told them that no one had been there to check the cameras except for them, Tyler's parents. The owner also told Tyler's family that the cameras were working just fine. They were never broken despite what the police claimed. 
Sadly, the video footage from those cameras were recorded over every seven days, and it was going to be challenging getting what they needed. Ultimately, the footage was still analyzed, but there was nothing that could be recovered from it because it had been recorded over too many times. Honestly, the police lying is the worst part. Yeah, it's frustrating when police are incompetent, but it's even more infuriating when they lie and cover up their incompetence. If the claims made by Tyler's family are true, the utter deceit and the purposeful dishonesty is sickening. And what's really shocking is that there were other concerns that Tyler's parents had with the Galesburg Police Department's investigation. For instance, the family said police told them in January 2019 they did not conduct any business checks at Casey's, but months later they said that they did. Sandra was told only city officials had a key to the lock on the Cedar Fort gate entrance. Then she was told only the sanitary department can access it. Then she was told no one knew who had all the keys. However, she learned that the fire department used a bolt cutter to unlock the gates when Tyler's body was found. There's something else. According to Tyler's family, police felt a beer can near Tyler's body was not his and would not be of much value given the elements it was found in, so they did not take it into evidence. Sandra claimed a bag of beer cans were within feet from Tyler's body, but investigators did not think that singular beer can found near Tyler's body could have been taken from the bag of beer cans and then placed next to Tyler's body. Sandra also alleged that the fire department removed items out of Tyler's pockets before the detective or coroner arrived, and she also claimed no documentation was done listing what items came out of what pocket, and allegedly, no CPR was done on Tyler when he was found. It is also alleged the police department refused to look at autopsy photos. According to Sandra, a detective told her, quote, you're just going to have to get over it when she was trying to get more information about the case. She also said she and Keith, Tyler's father, were told that they, quote, watch too much TV, end quote. This behavior is deplorable and insensitive to the family. The family is getting conflicting information, but then the police have the nerve to get upset when they are taken to task for those inconsistencies in the investigation. I mean, how embarrassing it must be to have someone with no detective or police training do the job you should be doing and doing it well. With time, Tyler's family and Detective Drake have run out of paths to pursue in Tyler's death investigation. The next best step was for Tyler's body to be exhumed. According to Detective Drake, the goal in performing the second autopsy was to get more information and determine if Tyler was in a physical altercation before his death. The good news was that Illinois State Police also agreed to take a look at the case and be present for the second autopsy. If the manner of death could be changed from accident to homicide, it could lead to a more thorough investigation. And that's what Tyler's family was hoping for. But the exhumation of Tyler's body was really hard. Sandra was forced to dig up and rebury her son. And sadly, finding out the truth came at a great emotional cost. It was incredibly painful, but she knew it was something she had to do to find out what really happened to her son. The second autopsy revealed a lot more than the first autopsy, but as far as the cause of death, that information is being withheld for now. Apparently, the results from the second autopsy are being withheld because there is a lack of physical evidence because of the evidence being destroyed or returned. If they do end up making an arrest in the case, there are supposedly only certain details in the autopsy report that only the perpetrator would know. 
And so that makes sense why they would not release the results to the public for now. So what do Tyler's parents think could have happened to him? Well, Tyler's mom, Sandra, said she believes Tyler was restrained and brought down into the canal due to the position of his body, his injuries, and marks on his wrists and ankle. She has claimed that the marks on Tyler's wrists look similar to handcuff marks and the marks on his ankles look like some sort of stun gun marks. However, former Galesburg police chief David Christensen said the cause of death is not related to any foul play due to Tyler's injuries not being consistent with homicidal wounds, although the former police chief said he did not look at all of the pictures from the scene. The Illinois State Police has reopened the investigation into Tyler's death. This massive and positive change in direction of the investigation is due in large part to Tyler's mother, Sandra and the independent investigator she hired, Detective Mitch Drake. They worked hard gathering as much information they could to help the case move forward. Sandra never gave up. She was determined and tenacious about finding out the truth about what happened to her son. And to know she did it all while grieving makes her efforts all the more admirable and commendable. Since September 2020, the case has been in the hands of the Illinois State Police, and Tyler's family hopes they are one step closer to solving the mystery of their son's death. And it seems like they feel they are getting closer to getting answers. According to Sandra, the Illinois State Police have been keeping the lines of communication open and updating her about the case. Tyler's story is so heartbreaking. He was just about to start the best days of his life. He accomplished one of his big goals of joining the police academy. He celebrated his 23rd birthday, and he was ready to become independent. But sadly, he never got to reap the rewards of all of his hard work. Tyler loved to laugh, and he had many friends, and he is greatly missed by those friends, and of course, his family. But his memory lives on. Each September since Tyler's death, a 5K run slash walk has been held to give back to the community. And there were Facebook pages created called Justice for Tyler Smith and Pledges for Tyler Smith Information Reward to keep the public up to date about his case. Through fundraisers and donations, Tyler's family has collected $25,000 for a reward to anyone who has information regarding Tyler's death. So if you have any information about the death of Tyler Smith, please contact the Illinois State Police Zone 2 Investigations at 815-632-4010, extension 230. As always, I want to hear your thoughts about this case, your opinions about what happened to Tyler Smith that night. Do you think that the police got it right and that Tyler really did die from an accidental drowning? Or do you agree with Sandra's theory about what happened to her son? Or do you have your own theories about what happened? As always, please keep the theories and the comments respectful and be kind. I'll see you in the next episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.